everyone. Welcome back to Thought in Action. This is Market Musings with Scott Poor, Chief Investment Officer for the Eudaimonia Group. Love having you on every other week, Scott. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, thank you. You're, you're back in the country this week, right? I'm, I'm getting close. I'm a couple days away. Um, but we but we but we're you know we're in a nice little fun location because we just renewed our 10 year um, anniversary vows so I made the most of it which was good um, so yeah if you hear the waves crashing that's why we're on the, we're near a beach doing all the fun romantic stuff <laughs> uh, but no I wanted to get into all that said um, a non-romantic topic which is the the markets and everything that's going on and and just get your your take on what's going on, what you're seeing right now. Um, you could use your three-legged stool or whatever you want to kind of break it down. Yeah, so uh, you know, if you kind of think about our three-legged stool, you've got corporate earnings, Fed policy, and then fiscal policy, what the government does. So corporate earnings still look really good. I think we're pretty much running at about an 88% rate of companies uh, outperforming expectations, about the same on revenues. Some of the headline uh, numbers, like some of the key tech companies, have warned about uh, you know revenues and earnings going forward because of chip shortages and supply chain issues. Uh, but overall, it's been a really good uh, earnings uh, situation. I think what's affecting some of the outlook is you know are we starting to look at lockdowns again? Are we starting to look at COVID restrictions? And I think the key to look at there is the bond market. What's the bond market trying to tell us? Last year, when we went into lockdown mode, we went from um, basically somewhere around a 150 handle on the 10-year Treasury, 1.5%, and plummeted down to 52 basis points. Ultimately, we got to the low around August 4th and then started climbing. We started climbing really because uh, better news was coming out, cases were slowing a little bit, and then vaccinations came into the picture, and that really sent yields higher because... Um, you know, we, we were looking a lot better and the outlooks for growth were better. And then all of a sudden, on March 19th, we peaked of this year. We were at about a 174 handle on 10 years. Um, and since then, we've kind of trailed off. Now, initially, we trailed off because our bonds looked much better than the rest of the world. So we had a lot of foreign buyers stepping in that was pushing rates lower. Since then, though, we've seen a rise in COVID cases, and we're starting to see the 10-year trail off again. Now, we're not falling off a cliff like we did in the pandemic. I mean, literally, we, we dropped, you know, basically 100 basis points in a matter of just a few weeks. Here, it's been much slower, but, but we are seeing some signs that maybe the bond market is worried about global growth going forward. And so I think that's a good key to look at. There's two scenarios. One scenario is it's just a slowdown in growth, kind of like what we got in the fall. And so maybe we're seeing some disruptions here and there. If we have some states that go into more lockdowns because of you know, increases in cases, and we could talk about that in a minute. But if that happens, yeah, that could be some disruptions that prevent us from getting back to normalized supply chain uh, issues and getting back to a more normalized labor market. Um, the worst case scenario is that we all go back into lockdown. We don't really see that as a, as a probable scenario, uh, but it, it is possible. So those are the kind of things that we're looking at. That the three-legged stool still looks pretty good, but so that last leg of the stool, fiscal policy, that that's an issue that we need to keep our eyes on because if that if we do get an infrastructure bill the same size they're talking about, that will lead to more inflationary pressure. Yeah. So let's. I want to parse out a couple of things. Can you just in like a minute? Talk through when you say we look at the bond market. If someone were to say, "All right, now what is exact? What does that mean?" 
we're talking about it moving from, you know, don't going lower down, you know, sub 1% up to, you know, like you were saying 1.74 in, in March, like take us through and very briefly, if someone were to look at that, what are they looking for to kind of give them something to look at in between these calls to say, oh, I see, I see the moves they're talking about. Yeah. So, you know, for the, for the average investor that, that doesn't do a lot of bond trading, it's basically a seesaw. As bonds, prices go up, yields go down and vice versa. As yields go up, prices go down. So when we see yields going up, that typically means that more investors are looking at equities. They're more attracted to equities. And therefore, you're seeing prices come down because people are selling bonds, which forces yields up. And so as we saw yields increase at you know, the latter half of last year going into this year, that meant that people were migrating to equities and migrating a little bit away from bonds and that was forcing yields higher, which is a good thing. That means that we're, we're experiencing growth or the prospects for growth. Uh, conversely, if bond prices are coming, excuse me, if bond yields are coming down, that means people, more people are flocking to bonds. As I said before, we saw that initially in the, the first, uh, the beginning of the first, second quarter this year because our bonds looked so much better, so we were getting foreign buyers. But now what it looks like is we're seeing some migration toward more bond buyers because the prospects for growth don't look so good. So that yield, we need, we need to watch that yield and see if it, if it keeps heading lower toward where we were last year. That again, the low was 0.52% yield. If we get anywhere close to that, we, we could be in trouble. If things stabilize here, then that probably tells us this, this worst case scenario is not really going to happen. And it's really just more of a disruption in growth temporarily. I like it because like what you were just talking about that seesaw. A lot of times the news will will print it as risk on, risk off. Oh, we're risk on. Oh, we're risk off. Like what does that mean? And I think you did a really good job at explaining. You know, money either going into bonds or money coming out of bonds into equities. You know, risk on equities, risk off bonds. So really helpful. Thanks, Scott. Um, but to transition from that, you did bring up this infrastructure bill, and we talked about this a little bit before the call. There's all this talk of inflation. And and I get the idea of like pent up demand, but where is this inflation coming from? Is it coming from like, yeah, we've always people love to spend money. Is it coming from all the money that went into the system as a response to COVID last year? You know, and then would if we have all this fear, wouldn't something like an infrastructure bill double down on it and create even more inflation? And then they're talking about another bill after that. Like, is isn't that what we should be afraid of? Or there's some ways that we might actually get some relief because the Fed has said it's transitory. Can you parse that whole thing out for us? Yeah, the transitory parts, when you think about the chip shortage that people talk a lot about, um, as an example, there are fewer cars on the, the lot when you go to buy a new car right now because of the chip shortage. Most of these cars now have computer chips, in them, not only just in the displays that we use, but also in the engine parts. And so those aren't available right now in the same way they were available two years ago. So you're seeing fewer and fewer cars. Well, if there's fewer cars on the lot, but the demand is still high, then that raises prices. So that's inflationary in and of itself. When that settles down and those disruptions you know, evaporate, we should see prices come back to normal on those, on those vehicles, for an example. On the flip side, though, you've got employers basically increasing wages and increasing benefits, not just with their current workers, but also to attract new workers. So they're trying to keep their current workers and attract new workers. Those costs are baked in. So even if you get a situation where supply chain issues normalize, the, 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 the money that they're paying these employees, they're not just going to turn off that spigot. That really doesn't happen until the next recession. comes. So 
those people continue earning higher wages. And so that's built in. Well, when people are making higher wages, that means they spend more. So that, that, that fuels the, the inflationary fires because they've got more money in their pocket, they're spending more, and that's the speed of money. And all of a sudden, you've got prices rising as a result of that. Now, a little bit of inflation is good. Like, what's the target inflation that they that they want? Is it three, four percent? Yeah, if you look t- typically over history, you know, somewhere around three to four percent is probably fine. Once you start getting in that five percent and beyond, now you start to get into some issues because if you think about it, uh, that eats into your bond yields. Your real return uh, won't be nearly as high. Uh, one of the ways that we say you have to combat that, especially if you're a long-term investor and you've got plenty of time on your side, is to have it. Because equities are one of the best hedges against inflation. If you think about an average bond that yields 5%, if inflation is 3%, your real return is really only 2%. However, if you have an equity holding, and let's say the average return is around 8%, you back out the 3% for inflation, your real return is 5%, two and a half times what it is for bond. So you need to have equities in your portfolio as a long-term hedge against inflation. Well, inflation has been pretty much benign for the last 20 years. If we get into a scenario where inflation starts rising, that has a much bigger effect, not just on the average uh, investor, but especially on retirees who are counting on income for for living as part of their portfolio, that, that real return now declines. I mean, those are all ex- excellent points. And um, I think we, we could parse them out now, but I, I kind of want to save that for, for two weeks from now. But I do think it's an excellent point talking about just the the impact inflation has on a portfolio over a long term period of time, and just how to combat that. So I'd definitely come back to that in a couple of weeks. So it, so if we've got these inflationary pressures already existing, to your point, we add an infrastructure bill on that, call it one point two, one point three trillion. Now that's a bunch more money in the system being spent on materials, industrials, all sorts of things, labor. And now all of a sudden, you're adding, you're, you're basically pouring some gasoline onto the fire of inflation. So you're going to have that bill and then potentially another one after that. So does the market now kind of, is it digesting? Because the market is is forward, you know, looking. Um, it's a leading indicator, or however you want to say it. Is the market now digesting all of that potential spending or maybe just the infrastructure bill? Like, where do you see the market with regards to its ability to forecast something like that coming into the system. Yeah, so this is this is important too when we talk about bond yields. The bond market tends to be extremely sensitive. And so sometimes it can be oversensitive. So we saw that last year when bond yields went down and hit their their lowest point in August, the equities were actually continuing to rise. And we're seeing that today. Today equities continue to rise. Now we've kind of hit this range bound period here the last few weeks as the market's trying to digest where are we going with COVID. But we are still seeing equities rise overall. So, again, if the market's looking forward and it's accurate, um, this disruption in growth should be temporary. At least that's what the, the equity market's trying to tell us. So perhaps the bond market's a little bit oversensitive right now. Plus, we also have to remember that the, the Fed is still buying bonds at a huge pace. Um, they have not slowed down and have not indicated that they're going to taper anytime soon <clears throat> if COVID um, begins to settle back down, which we think it will, um, and the the fears about global growth tend to ease. I think the Fed probably tapers sooner than people expect them to. I think they could potentially taper before year. Well, so let's let's parse out because you talked about COVID first. Let's talk about that. Like, 
take me through what you think, what the numbers look like, because I, you know, I know sometimes we talk about COVID and immediately people, it, it, it's almost like PTSD and understandably, I mean, it's not been a positive experience for anyone. Um, but let's just go through the numbers and kind of what to expect from a global growth standpoint, given what we know that's going on, like you were even talking about before the call in England and what we can expect in the U.S. and the impact that has on the market. Yeah, and so it's it's a very sensitive issue. Some people are really, really uh, sensitive to any kind of news about COVID. And unfortunately, I think the media kind of plays on that. I, I even saw a publication last week, which is a publication that I go to a lot for information, overquoted the daily cases for COVID by 30,000. It wasn't a couple of hundred, it was 30,000. So to me, that's a little bit inflammatory. That's a little bit of, of, of bias built in. What, what I really look for is, you know, what are the numbers telling us? What, what can we look at from other countries that could be giving us a hint? And if you look at the UK, the UK was, was ravaged by the Delta variant. Well, the UK numbers have rolled over. Cases are now, if you, especially if you look at the seven-day number, um, that line has rolled over, and now cases are on the decline significantly, equally with deaths. Um, I think that we're probably on that same track. We're still trying to find a peak here. And so you and I talked about this before. So we've got those that were infected last year. I'm, I'm one of those. You've got those that have been vaccinated. When you put those two together, those two groups already have antibodies. Now, that's not 100% effective against the Delta variant, but it's a very high amount of effectiveness against the Delta variant. So those that are getting reinfected who were infected before, i.e. last year, are seeing about a 0.6% reinfection rate a very small amount of people. Now, the media will play that up. The media will say, oh, X number just got reinfected. But when you look at the percent, it's a very small number. Same thing true on the vaccine. Those that have already been vaccinated who are getting COVID after vaccination, 0.08%, very small number. Again, the media likes to play, uh, play games with the actual number of cases. But when you look at the percentages, it's a very small amount. We are seeing deaths increase a little bit but not near like they did in the fall. In the fall, we saw a huge rise in cases, and about three or four weeks later, deaths followed. We are seeing a slight increase in deaths, but not nearly what we saw last time. The reason why is twofold. A, the vaccines are working, but B, each variant that we get typically gets worse and worse in terms of its effectiveness. It really can't find the same number of hosts to reinfect. That's why it mutates. And with each, each mutation, it typically gets less and less. You think about the, the flu. We've had a flu vaccine for 78 years, yet we still have the flu every year because the flu mutates. Every single year, there's a slightly different strain, so you got to go and get a new flu shot. But not everybody gets a flu shot, and not everybody gets the flu either. Or some people, just like with COVID, are, are asymptomatic. So, again, if we look at the UK, we look at the effectiveness of vaccines, there really isn't a good reason for us to go back and lock down like we did last year. We've got so much more evidence and so much more consequences that we've seen from the lockdown, like people not going and getting their regular screenings, people not going in and getting diagnosed with heart problems or cancer. And those cases are now worse because of that. So I think the policy decisions of last year, we can learn from those and hopefully not repeat the same mistake. And so you're saying... Just to kind of go back to that UK, what to expect in terms of our COVID numbers and then effect on the market. Just take me through what that looks like in your eyes in the next, you know, two to four weeks. Yeah, if you look at the UK, they really started, cases started rising in May. 
which is, is is we started rising later. Ours started rising in July, so they started rising in in uh, May, and then they peaked in uh, in uh, mid to early July. It's really somewhere I think it's close to uh, mid July, maybe the twentieth or the or the. But the, the key there is that if if we're roughly about three or four weeks behind them when our cases started rising, then in theory, we should be about three or four weeks behind them on the peak. So maybe sometime around mid-August is, is about the time that we would really start to peak. Let's wrap all this up. Let's, let's take me through your wealth protection signal, what it looks like, and then if there's any moves that you think people should make given all the data and everything we just talked about, what the market's telling us. Yeah, you know, if you look at the bond market and the equity market, what they're trying to tell us, really, there's not a whole lot for investors to do. Really, what investors should do is, is stay pat with where they are, still look at the at the opportunities that we've talked about with you know the cyclical names, uh, materials, industrials, and you know maybe we're getting kind of a little pause here in the growth story. So it's probably a good idea to stay put um, if you see some opportunities with some you know, some beat up names and basic materials or industrials or even some cyclical names because of a headline or because of something like that and there's no other issues fundamentally going on with the company, it's probably a good time to step in and buy. We, we probably will get some kind of little pullback here like we've been getting. We've talked about this before where if you look at the 50-day moving average, the S&P will hit it and then we'll bounce off of it higher. We'll probably get another little pullback here. Maybe it's a little bit worse. Maybe it's a 5% pullback. We typically get these pullbacks each year um, during the year. But it's probably a good idea to stay put for now. It's probably not a, a reason to to sell everything and, and get defensive and get upset. You know, we always talk about our wealth protection signal. It's very low right now. It's actually lower right now than it was this same time last week. So I think it would have to increase 250, 260% to hit the first trigger point where we would raise cash. So again, not enough evidence for us to say, hey, it's time to be defensive. It's probably time to just kind of stay put and let's uh, let's see what happens with COVID cases and hopefully we'll get a peak here in the next couple of weeks. No, I think it's it, it, all those things are very notable. I was I was looking at, you know, some of these industrials, these kind of reflationary names, you know, they've been releasing good earnings. Um, your Exxon, U.S. Steel upgraded, you know, by by uh, some of the wirehouses as well. These analysts have said great things about them. But because of this concern with this Delta, they're cheap. You know, they're off 5%, 10%. So I think to your point, stay put. If you see some of these areas that you can buy into that are off, you know, take advantage of it. But um, I love that wealth protection signal because it just takes the numbers, digests it, spits it out. Uh, very easy to follow. Well, and that's, a, that's another thing, too. You think about what the wealth protection signal did last year as we were going into the pandemic and everybody was, was concerned and the market sold off our protection signal was much more elevated and it actually did trigger it uh, at that time last year. It's not even close to trigger right now. So again, no real reason to panic that we can see right now. Well, thank you very much. Love having you on. Thanks for breaking all that out on, on bonds, inflation, um, and then giving us the wealth protection signal. And I'm looking forward to seeing what things look like in two weeks. You know, we have this next conversation, so it'll be good. I appreciate your time. <laughs> 